0: you're listening to a podcast from the media motel coming up this week in episode 570 reading and notting hill festivals why do they always go wrong why not following your dream can be the best career choice and the niceness of scott mills and harry styles that's all coming up after girls at our best and getting nowhere fast
1: From 1980 through to the early 90s, the independent singles chart was really significant and it was influential. Tracks that were popular but weren't mm. distributed by the major labels had their own chart, which was published in the music papers, Enemy in particular, and uh, devoured over by fans, music, business professionals. This band released four singles and they all made the top 20 in that indie chart. This was the first of those singles from 1980, Girls At Our Best and Getting Nowhere Fast.
2: What a terrific single. I am, there, There's a, sort of a re-release campaign at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, a record label called uh, called Optic Nerve re-releasing mm-hmm. Optic 7s, which is basically seven inch kind of vinyl singles um, of lots of big tunes from this era and I bought the re-release version of Getting Nowhere Fast, I think uh. with Warm Girls on the the other side and it is really terrific I'd recommend that listeners if they're interested in that era look at look at that sort of thing you couldn't get girls at our best stuff for years there wasn't right. any reissues at some time to the point where I've got a rough trade indie pop compilation from 2003 which very much how I discovered c86 etc and mm. in the very good sleeve notes it goes on to talk about the music they couldn't get and there was a single line that just said the girls at our best where are you because clearly they couldn't get hold of anybody yeah. to read issue stuff at that point happily not the case anymore it would seem welcome
1: along to parish council episode 570 i'm terence Stackham, and of course it's the question everyone is asking (laughs) has she started her world cup 2022 panini sticker album Let's ask Juliette
2: Harris. Well, thank you very much. According to the cost of infl- according to some news reports, the cost mm. of inflation, the cost of living crisis, etc., means if you wish to fill a Panini sticker album, using sort of probability and how much things cost, etc., mm. etc., et to work out a matrix, will cost you about £830 pounds to fill a Panini so, sticker that's album.
1: That's why I'm asking that's you. Kevin, so. Kieran Maguire, he's an academic at the University of Liverpool, estimated yes. that's, that there's 670 stickers. And as you say, it costs cost mm. the average collector over 8 Hundred quid. A packet of five stickers now costs 90 pence.
2: That is so insane.
1: Even if, and I mean, obviously, the odds of this are like. Mm. Tiggy, beyond Tiggy, if you got all 670 stickers on your first go, which obviously is ludicrous, it yes. would still cost £120.60. But Maguire... that's Mr. the Maguire,
2: baseline figure, yeah. Yeah,
1: that is if you got all, if you were bought 670 stickers at 90 pence for five, um, and you managed to get 670 different stickers uh, yes. to fill them, it would still cost £120.60. But M- Mr. Maguire, he's a mathematician estimates as you rightly said the average cost will be over 800 pounds so Good luck with, with that. And I think time to buy shares in Panini, perhaps.
2: Absolutely. I would also recommend, by the way, for people who wish to do this but but do not wish to pay that cost, you can do this online now as well mm. for free through their website. So you can oh, right. collect. For, for the most recent World Cup, I did have a little go with a friend of mine's kid of doing this online and you get packets each day. Of course, you get codes for packets if you buy a real-life packet of stickers. So perhaps not everything is quite free, but um, but a low-cost yeah. alternative is that oh,
1: good good to hear now i know that most people go to a pop music festival to enjoy themselves in a, mm. a trouble-free environment but once yes. again this week the mm. reading festival had controversial and chaotic stories emerging uh fights tents being ransacked burns bonfires nothing new at reading because it's had a reputation mm. for disorder with bottles being chucked and missiles thrown all over the place i've got a theory jules want to see what you think i think it's a combination of ready available unofficial medication including these new terrifying canisters blue canisters of nitrous oxide yes Um, and the insistence and i think this is I don't know if I, what you think about this the insistence on mixing up the bills so that crowds for dance acts mm. or grime are mixing with rock music devotees and mm. so
2: sparks fly well, yes, I think that's, a, as always, I think that's an extremely cogent point. Thank you, Seti. I was just, I'd, I'd written some notes on this, and I'd just written one word that said teenagers. So, so your mm. explanation is a little bit okay. deeper than mine. Reading seems to have become, and I think it's always been a bit like this. i have never been, actually. I had crowds. I was in crowds of, of teenagers, and I was younger, who used to go. And that was when it was very much a rock and metal-leaning festival mm. still. And it was always a bit heavy for me. I didn't even bother asking uh, to go. I probably wouldn't have been allowed to go anyway, but it was always a little bit much for me. I, my first festival was Latitude in my 20s, and that had a Radio 4 stage, and that was much more my <laughs> sort of... Dude, that says so much about me, doesn't it? Not all of it good. But no, Reading seems to become now the sort of rite of passage seems to be for people doing their their GCSEs and their A-levels. You, you do your exams, and then you will, get, you will pack off and go to Reading. And a lot of my colleagues, teenage children who are collecting A-levels and GCSEs, GCSE results particularly, Mm. it seems to have become that. So you've got a lot of impressionable young people. It might be their first experience or quite an early experience, like you say, sort of drugs circulating. The letting off of steam, I think, can't be underestimated, particularly for the generations of young people at the moment who've been doing these exams they're the covid generation aren't they they've been Mm. trying to sit these exams and you know and I think without condoning any of the violence I completely understand the pressure that these kids have been under for the last few years and how you might need a release or an escape I'm not saying it's right to set fire to things there's been a we we reviewed ages ago the film about Woodstock 99 Mm. and how badly that went there has recently been a a documentary series made about this going Mm. into more detail which is one of the number one programs on Netflix at the moment there is a suggestion that perhaps particularly impressionable young people have been watching this and they have an opportunity in which to recreate it don't they, it's very current at Ah. the moment it's it's, it's longer than the film we saw it's like like an episode I I, I, I watched watched it, yes,
1: it's it's a a three-parter I watched it and it, it and I, I, now you've said it, I see the mm,
2: parallels. it's it's interesting, isn't it stuff on fire? I mean thankfully, I haven't read many reports that seem to suggest the the unpleasant sort of assault type behavior that that there was, but it would seem that once again, like you say, reading has got out of control as people are setting fire to tents. It seems to be on a wider scale than usual i think I think there is something in the in the sort of the coronavirus post corona post covid sort of uh, that you know, everything seems to become more extreme, doesn't it? Really, and people's we've talked previously about have people forgotten how to behave people don't seem to be very moderate at the moment. It seems mm. to be, we seem to live in, in a society in a country of increasing extremes. I'm wondering if it's that, because I've always known of tents being set fire to at Reading, perhaps as well and this might be a, I I don't know if I'm reaching too far here, but tickets for these things seem to be more expensive than ever, meaning that that people seem to be sort of priced out so if it has become a middle class slash rich posho kid thing, which increasingly it might do, given the price of the of the tickets uh, reports of people just leave kids just leaving their tents behind, just oh, leaving yeah. their stuff behind, but these people mm. perhaps know the price of everything and the value of nothing
1: yeah i think yeah i think you, you, that's again you've, you, you make some very uh cogent points there Toby. Totally. i mean the other major event of the week that went wrong was yet again the <laughs> well, everything Hill at Carnival. the moment but yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah um two million people try and squeeze into small streets yes. um there's a we're, re, we're recalling this on saturday the third of september in today's oh. um mail online there's a terrifying piece of footage um uh, taken from above of uh, a particular area in the Notting Hill Carnival uh, the police are push, pressing their emergency buttons mm. and a policeman sort of says he, he's, he's being crushed to death. And it's just a, a, a kind of massive wave, a tsunami of people swaying one way and the other. And it just it reminded me of Hillsborough, the Hillsborough mm. tragedy straight away. Um, but, yes, it gives free reign to anyone out to rob, assault, um, maybe both. This year a man died. Seventy four police officers were injured, two hundred and nine arrests. I just think, and again, I sound like a, a, a very, very pompous old man, which, of course, is, comes to me rather naturally. But <laughs> uh, why is this allowed to go ahead each year? Mm. I mean, it's it's a complicated issue. I understand, um, you know, the, the, the history to it and yes. the, the, um, celebrating the local area and particularly the um, Caribbean um, yeah, sure. community. But if it must, Jules, if it must go ahead – I just can't understand why, in order to save all of this, why we can't move it a mile up the road to Hyde Park, Mm. where it can perhaps take place in a much more appropriate setting.
2: Well, exactly, the issue is is that this event is too big that is that is very apparent. getting two to three million people squeezed in that area mm. all it done again we 're on to extremes again aren 't we and I think the history of this is important to think about, particularly in in the context of the present, in which relationships between certain communities and the police are at an all time low the yeah. The metropolitan police have multiple problems that have been reported on widely that in i think as an in, I, I think you can I'm not one of these sort of ACAB defund the police types, but I think even you know, if you're you a sort of so-called sensible person, it's easy to, to say that the Metropolitan Police is a failing institution not in many sure. ways. Yeah. There are many things that it is doing wrong. There are many institutional problems. It needs root and branch reform. That is, that is very obvious. I can see why people have resentment towards the police, particularly amongst commu- certain communities who have not been treated well by the police. I absolutely mm. understand. Understand that. Having said that, that, that does not excuse some of the behaviour. Also remember that well, this is taking place in a sort of post Grenfell atmosphere as well. Yes. This is in the area that has caused so much sort of anger towards authority generally. And again, I completely sort of understand and sympathise with that. But the, the, that, of course, ups the pressure, doesn't it? It's like a pressure cooker. It turns the valve up, which then means that you're trying to do that with a huge I mean, millions of, literally millions of people in an area that is not designed to contain millions of people. It's become an event, like you say, that has become, that has just outgrown where it is. I understand, you know, how great it. You know, the idea is great. The idea of celebrating the streets is fantastic. However, perhaps a sort of a procession a better you know sort of a police procession ending in a large event in Hyde Park rather than having everything taking place in the same place Mm. might be a better might be a better compromise of making sure this can go ahead, but in a way that is safe and doesn't create massive amounts of tension that then boils over.
1: That's right. It, could, it you you could have temporary stands put up. Hyde Park has got very very wide um, mm. lanes and roads, so you know you could do the parades and the the the, the, the um, carnival atmosphere could still be just as good. Yes. And I think if it had stands where people could sit down and maybe buy um, food and drink in in an organised way. Yeah. And um, you know that it's not ever crowded. It could become actually a really fantastic celebration yes, it instead of a I terrifying be, experience.
2: Exactly. It could be a really positive thing also as well that the, the the issue that makes this so uh that, that makes it so well attended is of course it's not paid for at the moment i believe it's not ticketed is it it's oh, no, just no, go yes, along it's just on the street so exactly up, yeah. so, so i'm not suggesting this should be ticketed for money but you know maybe it that could be could ticketed be looked but at. free yes, so exactly that you, you know exactly. You, you can it, um turn like up, but the but thing you... in Hyde Park for example so there could be a parade mm. that you watch on the streets and then the actual events mm is in Hyde park although i do understand that it is cool to be able to walk down different roads and hear different sound systems it's tricky isn't it but it has just become too big to be realistically manageable
1: i i urge you and, and i mean i know some people say all the mail online but i just think if you are listening to this uh sort of contemporarily mm. yes <laughs> um, it's the third of september just have a look at this footage and i i, I think i'll my, my uh, argument will persuade you because you will just think. Oh my God, that's a dis- that looks like the most terrifying thing that you've seen since H- Hillsborough. And then just one quick more point on this. Um, I of course I understand Grenfell and I understand some terrible events that individual policemen have been involved in in the last year or two, particularly in the London area. Unforgivable. There's no mm. um, no no way out of that. But 74 police officers injured it. Yeah. An individual police officer on 30 grand a year, um, probably just trying to earn enough to keep a family going, whatever, uh, walking down the street in Notting Hill does not deserve to be beamed over the head with a scaffolding pole, no matter I, how I ab- much tension there is.
2: I absolutely agree. I mean, I would I would push back on your point slightly. I think it's more than a few rotten apples in the police. I think there are significant I, differences. I, I, so I gave that impression. I, yeah. I'm
1: sorry. I didn't mean that yeah. at all. No, no, more, no.
2: far more than a few rotten yes. apples. I've no, got no, no t- I can't no, understand. No people 's
1: uh, feelings towards the men no
2: absolutely, but but yeah, no, I agree that it is not mm. that violence is not the answer, not at all
1: One other type of uh, festival which has grown enormously in recent years and probably without um, the, the the use of nitrous oxide, is the literary <laughs> festival mm. and uh, how attractive that may sound, uh, authors and readers coming together to celebrate books. But the the reality is very different, and it's I I really really have turned against literary festivals. It's why mm. uh, I think now numbers are beginning to drop. It's because all they have become is a tool for authors who have become travelling salesmen. That this that these so called literary festivals everywhere now, but they all now consist of three authors give up their fees to give a little talk about their book fifteen mm. twenty. Before they graciously, in inverted commas, agree yes. to sign copies of their book at full retail price, mm. usually about double the Amazon price. And as they sign your book, you may converse with the author for maybe five seconds before yes. you move on to the next person in the queue. It's wrong to call them literary festivals, Jules. They're just sales events.
2: Yes, I'm inclined to agree. It depends. There are some that are a bit more interesting. So, so the hay on Why Festival and also the... Um, I think the new statesmen do some. And some of those can be a bit more interesting in that if they are events at which there are I suppose I would describe them as lectures or talks rather than sort of ingratiating yes. in conversations. Sometimes people say things that are newsworthy, like M- Emily, di- Emily Maitlis did the other week. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is possible for there to be, particularly the political ones as well. Sometimes it's possible for things like that to be interesting and enlightening as well as just a sales opportunity. But like you say, they seem to be becoming um, sort of less. They seem to be coming sort of less less populist, don't they? Really.
1: Very much so, yeah. Coming next, follow Ah. your dreams, and eventually you'll make it. (laughs) Or or will you? Uh, That's right after Diana Ross. Ah.
2: This was a hangover from the. Well, if it's done Ross, I you could say this is a love hangover from, uh, from Very good, very good. Earlier, from earlier, this, well, rather last week now, I think it was. We go today, a weekend ago today, it was Hastings Pride. I was marching in the in the procession, which was great with um with my my Labour people, and we had someone with a very loud speaker. I could not believe how much sound came out of this <laughs> one this speaker that was strapped around the organizer chap's husband that was that was walking through, and we were doing various equality style chanting. And at one point, rather magically, we broke off our chant. Several of us to sing along loudly to this song, which then parts of the the people lining the route then joined in with us. And it was a lovely moment where all of a sudden we we all stopped our campaigning and just just luxuriated in the joy of disco and singing along to this Mm -hmm. anthem, which is so great. It's such a great tune. That is Diana Ross and I'm Coming Out.
1: See, from for a moment, I thought you were giving us all a message, um, but yes, then I exactly. thought, well, I think we already all know. I mean, you know. the
2: oldest of news. Surely, this mm. isn't even yesterday's chip paper. This is this is chip paper from about fifteen years ago, I think. Absolute
1: queen of Motown, Diana Ross, currently mm. on the last few weeks of her twenty twenty two world tour.
2: Absolute God go bless Diana Ross. Yes, who, exactly. who, who's in, who's really not young now, and yet you know, seventy eight. Exactly. And yet still performing and still still bringing joy to people and Oh, I know we've talked about this previously, does it matter if people can't really sing anymore? Mm. And my friends saw Diana Ross perform and she did the Legends Slot at Glastonbury earlier this summer on the Sunday afternoon. Mm. And they said they had an absolutely wonderful time. And I said, what was she like? Because her vocals had been criticised. And my friend said cheerily, oh, I heard it on the radio afterwards and it really wasn't good. But we didn't notice at the time because everybody was so busy singing along and waving at her that no one really noticed. And I think that really is a case in point, isn't it? That perhaps it doesn't matter if these people don't quite have the voices they once did. Let's just celebrate the fact they're still here and still with us. Um, As as we've discussed before, I've turned around completely on that point. I used to think,
1: oh, support all," but now I just think, have a ball, enjoy yourself, do what you can.
2: And it's lovely to have these people with us, performing for us. That won't happen forever. There's this,
1: um, this terrible cliche that lifestyle coaches and gurus like to yes. throw our way, and it's reinforced by Simon Cowell type talent shows where, where um, any prospective participant has mm. to have an emotional backstory, yes. otherwise they have no value and the inference is in these things is that if you have a dream then you must dedicate yourself to making it and if it by, by any chance it goes wrong this is i think the very worst of it yes if it goes wrong then you weren't you, you weren't committed enough and you didn't, didn't want, want it finally. enough yeah, yeah exactly. exactly i think it's a terrible message to give to particularly young people who, who, who grasp at this uh believe hard enough and it will happen nonsense and then of course when they find themselves working in a bank when they're 25 they feel an awful sense of failure um jules don't follow your dreams there is no yellow brick road
2: I mean, it that's a, it's a hard sell. I mean, it's a difficult message to sell. It's a less uplifting, but there is a way in which you can sell it that is better. Really good article this week in the Guardian by Imogen West Knights, who want grow up wanting to be an actress, was absolutely convinced that that's what she was going to be, and then ended up not not hitting big. Being in things but not hitting big, and she says, and I think this is a lovely paragraph. I'm a bit advocate of giving up on dreams, taking away a fundamental lens through which you see yourself. In my case, embarrassingly believing I was some kind of star waiting to be born. Well, don't we all believe that image? And don't be hard on yourself. Mm-hmm. Makes you have makes you have to reconsider who you actually are. And a dream, by its nature, is a static, stubborn thing that is ill suited to the ruthless way things have of changing. Life forces us to give up on dreams all the time. People die, jobs are lost, relationships end. The things that brought you joy go on to bring you sorrow. Being able to let things go is a skill that not everybody is born with and I certainly was not but I think it's a good muscle to train. There's a fine line obviously to succeed in any career you need tenacity, self-belief and drive but there is a point beyond which putting that energy in no longer serves you and I think that's a really good way of looking at it and I think that we should be encouraged young people or indeed anybody. I'm personally a big fan of the increasingly decreasing trends away from 30 big things under 30 lists yes. to the ideas that oh, people yes. that people can achieve things. It's never too late to start. I think that's a really good message. Not necessarily oh you must you know don't give up but it's never too late to start. I like that as a message um, someone reminded me the other day that Bram Stoker did not like write, write Dracula until he was later on in his life and indeed Dracula did not Kill anybody until he was dead. So, so it's 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 worth remembering that you know things could happen later in your life. If that is your dream to kill people, you can do it after you've died. But in all seriousness, I think I think it's a, I think it would be a kind of message to say if you want something to happen, sure thing. You know, work work really hard. Nothing happens without hard work. I think that is very much true. Mm-hmm. Having said that, though, if if you don't succeed either try something else, try again, try something else and don't be hard on yourself. There are circumstances. I mean, a lot of, and I think you would obviously know this, your connections Mm. to the showbiz world much, much Mm. greater than mine. So much of it is either about knowing people or just about luck just about being in the right place at the right time and that's not i mean you can work really hard and and give yourself a greater chance of those opportunities happening i think that is true but sometimes It just happens for some people and not for others. And you might make poor decisions. Equally, you might not. It might just be nothing to do with you. I remember Maxine Peake saying once when she talked about auditioning things, she said that she's not got jobs. And of course, she's very successful, not got jobs before. She said it can be simple things, just like someone thinks your hair isn't quite right. You know mm. these tiny, weeny little things that could be the difference between you getting a part in something and you not getting a part in something. That then means that someone that would have seen you in that thing doesn't see you in that thing, etc., etc. And I, I, I'm a. I think it's a great point. I think that that much more energy and unhappiness is caused. Much more energy is lost than unhappiness is caused, as Imogen puts it. But by, by people by people continuing with things that are never going to happen and causing themselves a great deal of unhappiness. I think there's much more damage caused by that than by people giving up on stuff. If you see what I mean, I think you can cause yourself more damage by pushing and pushing away and you know it's an expensive business nowadays isn't it trying to get famous and you can you can cause yourself more and more damage and disappointment by you know slogging away and throwing good money after bad i think particularly about comedians going to edinburgh and the edinburgh fringe i know people that have run shows there and it costs it costs thousands to stage your show at edinburgh it it, it costs thousands to get a venue to publicize it etc cetera, etc cetera. and you can sometimes be playing to 10 people and yeah. And, yes, those ten people might go away and and you know if you did that five times, a critic might see you eventually, and then everything might start equally. Do you know it might not, and you've just spent thousands of pounds. That's not to say don't try it, but by all means, try that for four or five years, but if you're doing that fifteen years later, it isn't bringing you happiness, and you're spending all this money. Why are you doing it? you know it's 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 and and you know, and if you want to stop doing it and stop making yourself unhappy you're not giving up on your dreams you're behaving in a way that is healthy that is looking after your well-being
1: i'm not saying these people haven't got talent in their own right no, but as absolutely, you rightly say yes. As you rightly say, if you happen to have a family member, particularly a parent, already in show yes. business, um, how how um, coincidental that uh, Lily Allen, Jack Whitehall, mm, Claudia I mean, Winkleman—you know, there's a long, long yeah. list. Yeah,
2: my my, I'm my friend, not they haven't got talent,
1: but my yeah, goodness me, exactly. they my, got a shoe in.
2: Quite, my friend calls says that we're often living in the blue Wikilink link area, by which <laughs> I mean if you look someone up uh, yes. and they says their parents one of the parents is in blue aren't they where you click on it and then that parent's got a wikipedia entry i'm not saying that, that they might be in the same field mm. i might not be saying they're not they're not that they are hugely successful but you know if you've got a parent with a blue wiki link that's not unhelpful is it
1: the other summit of this particular coin is that if and when some people do reach stardom, the novelty wears off very swiftly. Mm. And there are many examples from Dusty Springfield uh, through to Amy Winehouse of musicians who either can't cope with this level of fame or uh, b- perhaps turn to. away c- completely. Yeah.
2: Andrew Ridgely, for example.
1: Well, quite. The ultimate. Uh,
2: yes. In, yes. In I've made all my money off I pop. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, And often that can lead to a sort of tortured life like poor Amy Winehouse struggling to come to terms with the demands of life in the the public eye. Um, George Ezra hit almost instant instant success. Each of his three albums reached number one in the UK. Most of his singles are big sellers. He's found this fame rather difficult to come to terms with. And and George, an interesting interview in The Telegraph, Daily Telegraph this week, where George Ezra talks about his struggle to cope with fame.
2: Yeah, I really enjoyed this, actually. And I have time for George Ezra. I mm. bought his first album, which I used to mm. listen to quite a lot when I was driving. I, I heard Budapest on the radio and really liked it. Mm. And the first album is really lovely. I, I mean, I'm not very familiar with the work after that, but I used to work some uh, in the area I worked. It was rural parts of Kent and Sussex. And I used to listen to it whilst driving around a lot and found it. And I don't mean this as an insult, but I found it very easy and enjoyable driving mm. music. It really did cause sort of serve a purpose and serve. Because um, I really like George Ezra, I think that his his voice I, is not everyone's cup of tea. I would describe it as as distinctive rather than spectacular. Yes, it's very
1: voice yes, exactly,
2: right. and that's not to everybody's taste. Having said that, though, what I admire him is that he seems to be relatively ego free. In that this article mm. tells this article sort of tells his his sort of delight in people not knowing who he is and him pretending to be Ed Sheeran all the time, um, but because he doesn't want to embarrass people for not knowing who they are which I think is rather sweet yes. and he says um that that he quite likes the fact that he plays that he plays to big audiences he plays at festivals his, his records sell pretty well and he says um no one he says no one really cares about me and he says i mean it in a good way it feels like cake and eat it territory that he can just you know and, and i think there's a good point to be made there about whether or not people lean into fame or not and i think there is a way in which you can there are and there are some people there are some actors and actresses that i'm thinking of that managed to do very successfully who managed to uh managed to be managed to, to produce excellent work and then they just go away and live quietly at home, and then they come back to London. Um, I think there's some Scottish actors and actresses that are really good at this, that they just pop down to London do their promo, and then they pop up again, and 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 you know, and they don't they don't do the party circuit. They go to premiers because they have to, and that's and that's all they do. And George Ezra, you know, does things like. Um, you know, like like plays his biggest headline show to date, forty thousand people at Finchery Park in London. I know people that went and had a whale of a time, mm. and then went on holiday to the south of France, where he saw nobody. And and I think it is possible if you make those if you make choices like that, you can you can manage to you can manage to find your way through it. And I. You know you get the i mean George Ezra talks movingly about the fact that he has o c d so there are certain things that are really hard for him that he's had a lot of therapy for, and yet he's not you know he's he's not um he's he's not sort of you know going oh poor me he's being pragmatic about it, and I really admire that and i and i think that it is it is possible i think it's a really healthy attitude to have actually, and i suspect. If George Ezra wants to wander off, then he probably will at some point. And I suspect we'll very, have a very happy, sort of quiet life. But alternatively, I think if you are able to keep that level of balance, you can have a really long career, probably, just by mm-hmm. treating, treating, you know, as, as as Rudyard Kipling would say, treating the imposters just the same and just realising. We've talked previously about um, Sandy Tom and her, her frustrations yeah. about not being playlists anymore. And which therefore then resulted in her album not being released by her record company. George Ezra manages to be a lot more chill about it. And and in a way, you know, being being calm, I said being calm about things. Obviously, I'm not saying it's not right to have to have emotions and feelings about things, but to sort of find your way through it. You know, to find a way of treating perhaps treating it as a job, maybe it's as prosaic as that. Maybe it's just treating like, like you're acting, treating your acting as work, treating you' performing as work, and enjoying that work, and then coming home from work, I think there are too many musicians particularly that lost and poor old Amy Winehouse particularly mm. that lost the ability to come home from work and maybe mm. maybe if you can find a way of treating it like a like a like a nine to five job. Maybe that's the answer i don 't know
1: about his ability to remain uh, relatively anonymous mm. um, he's got a very interesting face george ezra he has. He's, a, he's a very good looking boy very oh, good looking is. lad, Absolutely, indeed yes but there's nothing remarkable about his face that would make you think oh it's George Ezra the,
2: the,
1: yeah, the, exactly so you do you just mentioned David Winehouse if you saw even if you were on um, a beach on the Isle of Wight. And Amy Winehouse walked along. You say, look, it's Amy Winehouse. Then
2: Winehouse, yeah. But if
1: you were on a beach on the Isle of Wight and George Ezra walked along. The, I might, I from, might not recognise him. I, I certainly wouldn't. But mm. um, I, I was very interested to read about George Ezra's um, OCD yes. um, in this article. And that he does things like count all the letters in a sentence um, mm. because they've got to come to an even number. And if they don't, he'll put an exclamation mark at the end so that it makes an even number. And. I have this as well. I do very mm. similar things. Like if I'm in a room with people, I count how many men there are and how many women there are. Oh, how
2: interesting. Are. And mm. I'll count how many tiles on the ceiling. Oh, yes. But, I, I've done that when I've been mm. sitting in doctor's waiting room. Yes. We got, to, we got to the point once where we had to wait so long that we calculated – how many tiles there were, what colour each tile was. And we were just getting to the point of calculating the, the percentage cover when the person I was with <laughs> was finally seen. My, my uh, university flatmate, whenever we used to open a packet of sweets, like M&M's or something like that, she would get upset if there wasn't an even number in the packet. Wouldn't every And it also shows her generous nature as well. Everyone was given yeah. to And we weren't above... If we some of us would then count how many were left on the table and would work it out. And if there was an odd number, her attention would be distracted and one of us would just eat one so that so that then there would still be an even number. Maybe she maybe she went on to not understand why not every packet of sweets has an even number. I don't know. But we used to try and do it to sort of keep things keep things okay.
1: I didn't realize this was quite widespread because another thing I, I have to do is when we if we adjust the volume on the TV, it has to it has to be an even number. So oh, if it's like thirteen. It's got to be yes. fourteen or twelve. Otherwise, I that feel is, really you know I get the I heebie-jeebies.
2: Gosh. Wow, well that is interesting. I didn't know that about you. That is interesting.
1: So like me and George Ezra we're two peas in a pod in Absolutely. so many ways.
2: and I look forward to your next album very much.
1: <laughs> uh, coming up, the sheer niceness of Scott Mills and Harry Styles. But there's a twist. Uh, That's right, after Graham Parker. choice to cover one of the most famous motown songs of all time but i think he does it wonderfully um released as a single in 1979 graham parker and i want you back
2: yeah that's really good i i didn't expect to enjoy that as much as i did i don't mean that unpleasantly but i do love the original so i think of that's a good, a good swing a great swing at that
1: um i've got a long history with scott mills um mm. I mean, I've never met the bloke at all in my entire (laughs) life. But I do remember him when Heart 106.2 launched in London in 1995. Interesting. It was a fabulous, exciting station in those early years, although. Mm -mm the format was adult contemporary it, it had a rather sort of thrilling new edge to it but mm. uh on a side note uh sadly now heart is rebranded heart london and it's owned by the global yeah. group and it's yet another anonymous station that sounds like every other global or bauer station but scott mills scott mills stuck out in the early year or two of heart he was only 20, mm. 21 22 and he had a fabulous knack of sounding as if he was engaging with the listener. That, that, that yes. is each of us individually.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I feel like he's talking to me when I listen to him. That's
1: exactly it. It's an intelligent presentational style, yes. but also great warmth.
2: Yeah, and, oh, very much so, yeah.
1: Well, after that, uh, Jules, Scott became a real star at Radio 1, but now... He's just broadcast his last show and he's heading off to take over the time slot at Radio 2 that for an eternity belonged to Steve Wright in the afternoon. Indeed,
2: yes. I wish Scott all the best with this slot. It will be a very different thing, but I really hope he he makes it work. And I agree with you, actually. Even though occasionally he might tip towards blandness a little bit, I really like Scott Mills because I think he's very kind. And he actually was interviewed this week about sort of how you know him his advice to people he was asked to to people and he's he said keep it simple and be kind and what is lovely about him is that he made his best mate famous so Chris Stark who he presents with um yeah he it was him that you know he sort of found him as a fan I think of the show and they became really big friends and it worked really well also I and obviously some of this is down to production but some of his features are fantastic (laughs) I mean I worked in an office some years where they used to have Radio 1 on all the time and it used to drive me absolutely mad Mm -hmm. but I was always glad to hear Scott Mills in the afternoon show partly because it meant that the day was ending and also partly because he was really funny and they used to do innuendo bingo where they would get people on Uh, they would get celebrities on and again I think this shows how celebrities were able to sort of laugh at themselves and buy into it because Scott Mills is so infectious. That very famous people, Daniel Radcliffe, amongst other people, go on. And the idea is, is that you have to take a mouthful of water and then various innuendos are read at you, and you have to basically not laugh and spit it everywhere. And basically, it never works. That's the, that's the joke of the thing. Also, the going home song. I mean, I, I the thing I like about Scott Mills is that he's slightly out of time, I think. And I remember they had the going home song because it was the drive the drive time slot where to the tune of nut rocker by b bumble and the stingers yes this was in 2010 2011 people would ring upwards and would sing my name is whatever and i'm going home to the sort of the tune and they had a producer called becky who was who was great who became uh, she was single and they launched this kind of nationwide search to find becky a man which was a very entertaining and they would go back to it every week and she had to leave the show because she was unwell i think she oh. had something like cystic fibrosis and her last show they got her to do the going home song mm. and it was it's one of it was genuinely really moving and i mm. love the fact that some people, like you know, Chris Moores, who I've never been a fan of, they do the sort of zoo format, and Steve Wright does this reasonably well. But they did a the zoo mm. format, but you often got the impression that Chris Moores was sort of mocking those around him. Yes, whereas yes, often, a
1: very good point.
2: Well, as I often felt with Scott Mills, like I was listening to a gang of him and his pals mm. who were quite talented, and it was a lot of fun, and he's just very. I just think he's he, I think he absolutely understands how to get the tone right and and you know yes but he might be a little bland sometimes but he's um I I just really like him and I really wish him well and I think that that it is he is someone who is a class act, I think, really. And I just and I just think, you know, what it's really nice. Ryland made this comment mm. on on Twitter once again. You know, regulars will know that I that you know I I had a brief summer, weirdly, of knowing Ryland a little bit, yes. and he was always very classy and was lovely when we met him and was really pleasant. And someone said to him on Twitter once, oh, you know, I was moaning, going, "Why does that Ryland get so much work?" And he replied, "Cheap and easy to work with." and 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 i and i enjoy firstly his self-awareness i don't think he's that cheap if i'm honest but anyway i'm enjoying his self-awareness but also the fact that sometimes if you're just nice and easy to work with, you might get a lot of jo- jobs that other people don't. And I was thinking back to in, to the context of our conversation last week where we were talking about a why are certain people everywhere all the time. Mm. Maybe they're just nice to work with. And my friend always calls this Louise syndrome. And I think that is a really good way of putting this. Um, so Louise, well, she was originally Louise Nerding and she mm. went on to become Louise Redknapp, started off as a member of Eternal and had a solo career. Now. The, i think what you could this is not at all to be unpleasant about louise you could say she had a nice voice it wasn't really mm. much more than nice you wouldn't say she was a good looking woman she could dance quite well she had a nice voice so when she left eternal when you look at the at the singles that she had her singles were well, firstly she had between 95 and and 2003 she had 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 11 12 top 20 hits i mean which is incredible isn't it really and she and she had you know 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 of those were top 10 hits I mean, most people could not name more than two or three Louise singles. Yet she had all those hits and they sold. And you think, well, oh, why, you know, wh- why, you know, who was working with her? You know, why was she giving these songs that were so successful that were being, because I think a lot of them were sort of co-writes or written by other people. And my friend said to me once, Maybe Louise is just really nice. Maybe she's just really easy to work with. Maybe she just turns up when she's told to turn up at places and is pleasant to the staff around her and sings the song and then goes home. And part of me thinks when people are on things all the time, sometimes it's, you know, overexposure syndrome. Sometimes, as we said earlier, it's who you know and, and, you know, who your dad is or your mum is and that sort of thing. Maybe there are some people that manage just the same careers just because they are nice and easy to work with. And I've been on job interview panels before and I've faced job interview panels and I've given jobs to people and I've got jobs because when I'm presented with the person in front of me or when I present to people, you ultimately you want someone that's proven that they can do the job or you want someone that you think, okay, they seem able. And if I've, in the olden days, in ye olden days before COVID mm. when we were all working in offices, you think... I need can I sit in a room with this person from nine till five for <laughs> a week? You know, can I can I get on with this person? Can I have this person around when things go wrong? Yeah. Is this someone that I can cope with around me? And actually, I think that applies to the world of famousness as well in that, you know, if if, if this person is nice and easy to work with, do I want someone that's going to throw a massive strop in my studio when I'm trying to record five side songs a day? If they've got the best voice ever, Or would I rather someone that's got a voice that will do? And again, this sounds like I'm being horrible to Louise. I don't mm-hmm. mean to. someone that's got a voice that is nothing spectacular, but is reasonable enough to be able to put a record out and they're pleasant and they get on with it. I think I'm going to pick that person, Terence.
1: Yes. Well, yes, I think you're right. Louise um, Rylan and Scott Mills all proving that nice people can make it. Absolutely. Um, someone who found stardom even younger than Scott Mills is Harry Styles, mm. once, once an X Factor um, wannabe, I suppose. Now, yes, one of the absolutely. Biggest, biggest stars in the world now, and, and another famous person who appears to be unaffected and remain a nice person, as well as being mm. exceptionally famous. But I'm interested in your your view on this, Jules, because i've said before how i deplore interaction between whoever's on stage and the audience you know don't ask us to sing along
2: (laughs) i paid you to do it yeah
1: exactly or don't do the embarrassing freddie mercury uh, dayo thing exactly as you say you're the entertainer we're the audience you do your bit and we'll do our applauding thing Um, but you know keep that fourth wall in, in, in its place harry styles bless him on his current tour has taken is taken to allowing people to propose to each other on stage ask his advice about their love lives um on microphone to the whole arena by the way not not sort of you know in private or come out as gay to their parents live on stage um jules my advice to harry is don't do this
2: i I, mean i'm I'm right aren't i Yes, I think you are. I, I mean, I, you know, most of the time, I think you're pretty right, Terence. It has to be said, and <laughs> and I, I do think so here. I think that a really good point was made here talking about this by um by Louis by Louis or Lewis, I'm not sure how that's pronounced. Louis Chilton in the Independent, um, right. uh, basically saying, you know. What's in this for Harry Styles? Well, quite a lot actually, because because, you know, it goes it goes viral. These things inevitably go viral. Yeah. And he gets to prove that he's doing this for the good of the fans. Mm. And, you know, he's there for his fans. At the same time it's going incredibly viral, and I suspect selling more records as a result. Um I have issues with this. I mostly because For things that are highly... I mean, I hate public proposals anyway, can I just say. I find Mm. them, proposals of marriage, I find them really, really manipulative. Because if you're on stage in front of 80,000 people and a bloke, and I have to say it's usually a bloke, asks him to marry you, how can you say no? How can you say no in front of those people? And I think the pressure is horrible. Um, When it comes to the young people coming out to their parents... The thing that worries me about this and, and you know, you could say oh, Harry Styles is just facilitating this. Mm. It's a duty of care point for me. Where's Harry Styles when the parents don't react well? Yeah. Harry Styles is on the next day of his tour. You know, the, the circus has rolled out of town, hasn't it, at that point? And I think that... There might be maybe I'm being a bit cynical and I might as well as the virality of this, maybe Harry Styles, who seems a nice person from mm. everything that, that I seem to have read. Um, maybe he is doing this out of the goodness of his heart and giving fans a space to do this. in. having said that, you know, I don't I, there are such emotions involved and speaking as someone who is a gay person who has had to go through this process it's so un- it's so complicated it's not uncomplicated in the slightest you know saying these things and perhaps this taps in a little bit to this kind of don't give up on your dreams anybody can do anything a messaging that is well intended but often quite unhelpful and unhealthy over time there's there's often this this idea and this might be slightly controversial to say but everyone is encouraged to come out and i think that coming out means that you can live an authentic life and ultimately in the long run that will make things much happier or at least you it will take away the worry that you're sometimes you're somehow sometimes living behind a smoke screen i'm completely clear and completely agree on that but coming out for me has been a lifelong process there there will always be circumstances even now as a 38 year old woman who is openly gay and you know that we still live in a society that works on image but even though i have long hair the way i dress the way i talk the way i am i don't need to come out to most people now most people can kind of work, work it out if you see what i mean but even so, you know, if I were to change my hairdresser, I would probably at some point it would come up in conversation that if I had a partner, it wouldn't be a man. And and, you know, in order just to be able to talk about life, really. And that is I'm you know, I'm fine with that. And the more you come out over the time, the more it just becomes a routine thing. And actually attitudes have changed that no people one's
1: still to this day. I mean, sorry to interrupt, do, yeah. do, does anybody say like,
2: oh, you're gay? I, I was about to say in the past people would have gasped and Mm. attitudes now no one really cares at all and it's not really a surprise but I'm just thinking that and Harry Styles has been not exactly in hot water but Harry Styles is known for dressing very flamboyantly Mm. sometimes wearing dresses but has given interviews sort of I don't know if this is deliberate but sort of coming across as, oh this is just me expressing myself and I get the impression a little bit sometimes with Harry Styles that It's all very well for him to kind of be in this world. And I absolutely get it. But this idea of letting people come out to their parents on stage, Mm. I don't, it feels to me like it's a world with the dynamics of which he hasn't truly understood or thought through or, or kind of grasped. And you feel like saying to him, yeah, but what happens? when this scared young person that's come out to their parents, mm. who've had to be nice because it's on stage, yes. what happens when when you roll out of town? What happens then? And and part of me, I just really worry for that. And, and sorry, going back to the point I was making about, mm. oh, everyone can follow their dreams. There is this message, and, I, and this is kind of what's being sold here. Oh, you know, it's all right to come out. Everything will be fine, and everybody will be fine if you come out. And actually, more often than not now, yes, it is fine because attitudes of society have changed. But sometimes coming out to one's parents, is really hard and there is no guarantee they will react in the way that you want them to and actually my my parents are incredibly supportive and my whole family is supportive now and that has been that way for years but it was a shock when it first happened and people don't always react to shock in in a in a rational way or in the way that you would want them to and I do worry with this that that you know we have this message and, and I this is not to say that people shouldn't come out to their families because I really think in order to live an authentic life if you, if you feel you need to do that, to live an authentic life, then do. And I think it is the key to happiness. But I do w- worry that people are kind of, Harry Styles and co, are sort of, and society in general is giving, they're playing around in this sort of blandly positive, upbeat messaging. And they don't always understand the dynamics behind it, which are not always, I mean, they, they become more manageable over time, but they're not always how we want them to be. And I do worry that, that it is but with the best of intentions, it is exposing people to danger.
1: Mm. So um, more misdirection than one direction. Really.
2: Hey, very good, Setti.
1: Thank you very much for joining us this week. Good to have you with us.
2: I very much agree. I echo the sentiments of my excellent colleague.
1: Scott Mills, Ryland, Louise, talking of nice people. Juliet <laughs> is on the radio as usual this week.
2: That is too kind. Thank you very much. Yes, I will be bringing my nice vibes to a smooth sailing 7 to 9 p.m. on noiseboxradio.com. Yacht rock, M-O-R, A-O-R, easy listening. Just all very nice, really.
1: <laughs> to, to play us out a track from our favourite Anglo-French band
2: indeed yes i like stereo lab because they manage to be very deep thinking and also almost dangerously catchy as well i'm a huge fan of them and i got for my uh, for, for my birthday recently i was given a lovely two cd expanded edition of emperor tomato ketchup which is such a stereo lab name for an album let's face it <laughs> and um, and it had lots of demos on it had uh, the, the second cd had demos and 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 mm. you know sort of alternative mixes and things and i find it really interesting to to listen yes. to stuff in its kind of purest form to hear how it sort of developed and it's a track which I wasn't, I did know from this album but I'd never listened to it very deeply and this demo I love the rhythm on this demo and it's largely survived to so the main track but I love the hearing this in its purest form, it's very short, you'll be pleased to know rather than the eight minute songs mm-hmm. I sometimes <laughs> pick for the end of the podcast but um I just really like how pure this is and it's really catchy, I find myself keep listening to This. It's got a typically complicated name. This is Stereotab and the demo version of Motorola Scarletron.